0: Um, his name was Elvis Presley, and he used to just have this little taking care of business necklace, and we thought that was cool. And so for the last three weeks, or this is the third week of this series, taking care of business, week one, we talked about taking care of people around the world and right here at home. And that was our compassion week. Most churches do a compassion Sunday. We now do a compassion week where we um, really just tried to expose our church to the needs around the world and the needs right here in our own congregation. So we launched our needs board back here in the corner. So at any time uh, before or after services, what we do is, is we've got people in our own church family that have some needs. And so they just write them down and put their name and information on that board back here. And then we encourage everybody else to go by and check the needs board to see if there are some needs in our church family that we can meet. I think it was Jim Elliott that said that the light that shines... Farthest shines brightest at home. So for us, it's not either either or. It's yes, we want to meet the needs around the world, and yes, we want to meet needs uh, right here at our very own church and our own city. That's what this thing that you're sitting on is all about. If you want to get plugged into a ministry uh, to serve during Christmas time, just pick one and go for it. You don't need my permission, or maybe you do. God bless you. There you go. You've got permission. Go and serve. Now, I want to talk to you real quick about compassion and what happened. I haven't updated you yet, and I feel a little bit like a proud papa um, because this isn't like a competition Except we won, so that's the only thing about that. So the goal was that we would sponsor three, uh, 500 kids uh, on Compassion Sunday. We sponsored 803, all right? Amen? That's cool. The Compassion Mobile experience that was parked in our parking lot all, all week, last week, a um, couple of things happened there. First, there was a new record of number of people that went through it. There was 2,158. And we shattered the previous record of people that had experienced that. And the previous record was held by a church called Brook Hills, who has a, has a pretty famous pastor in, in regards to, not real famous, there's like real famous and then there's Christian famous, okay? So uh, his name's David Platt. He wrote the book Radical and Radical 2 and You Better Be Radical and Radical Some More. You know, all those radical books. He wrote all of those, and in his church, um, they, had, they had about about 1,400 people go through the experience, and we shattered his record. And again, not that it's a competition, but I can't wait to meet him and let him know that, oh, I got the title. Okay, that's how that works. So, <laughs> um, and we, we also set the record for the number of children sponsored at the experience. We beat Brook Hills, his church, too. And this is the first time that the Compassion Mobile experience has been uh fully staffed by volunteers from the church. That means you volunteered for every volunteer opening that they had available. Uh, And we extended the hours. We decided last minute to stay open later, and you filled all the spots. And even maybe even more important than this, I'm stoked about this, I got a really long letter from Compassionate International uh, this week, saying, way to go on the number of sponsorships, because you as a church, Church of 1122, we sponsor more kids per capita than any other church in the history of Compassion International. That's neat. Um, but also, they just said, they've never been treated so well a- as they were treated last week by our church family, just by the love and the grace that, that you poured out to them. So way to go, way to go. So that was week one. We took care of business around the world. I mean, we really did. And then last week, we talked about really taking care of church, church business. And um, I preached 722, and then Pastor Ryan preached 1122 because I was in, in New York City all week last week with my wife, and that was quite an experience. I mean, there's 8 million people, not one smile in the whole place, all right? <laughs> and you, you want to freak out a New Yorker? Just look him right in the eye at, at the little checkout aisle and just say, Merry Christmas. And their, their head blows up, all right? They don't know what to do with that. Like, mean, no, it's happy holidays. Okay, I'm going to focus in on the one Christmas. All right, so I, I told Merry Christmas to everybody I could. But last week, Pastor Ryan spoke on Sunday and I did on Thursday about taking care of church business, about supporting the, the operating budget of our church. And you are taking care of business. Way to go. If you're new to our church, you know, we don't pass a plate. That's not how we roll. Um, at the end of the service, we respond to the gospel by singing, we respond by praying, and we respond by bringing to God what's already His in our tithe and offering boxes here or you can go to the giving kiosk in the back and, and again you guys are doing a, a great job there. And then this week this week I want to talk about taking care of your own business. taking care of you. Um, I've entitled to this dream job and and I don't want you to think it's about you having your dream job, but are you living out God's dream for you? Are you maximizing God's potential in your life because here's what I know because I've had enough lunches and coffees and and read the prayer request of some of you that some of you just feel stuck you feel bored you're praying to God that this isn't it I mean you're hoping you believe you know deep in here there is more to life than the life that you're living you feel like you need to be rescued from this ordinary life. That you get up tomorrow and you're gonna have the same breakfast you always have, and you're gonna go clock in to wherever you clock in, and it just kind of feels like blah. And then you get home and, and you just watch some lame TV, and some of you are thinking, What am I gonna do when football season's over, right? And, and that's just kind of the life that you're, that you're living, and you're thinking, There must be more to life than this. My college professors told me once I got to this place in my life, everything would click. I mean, it's called the American dream, and your dream is like, uh uh-oh, it's kind of like a nightmare because nothing is really happening. And do you know that God did not create you to live an average, ordinary, mundane, boring kind of life, but he came that you might have life and have it abundantly And so this morning, what we're going to talk about, we're going to walk through the scriptures. We're in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, and we're going to talk to you about living God's God's potential for you, but not for you, but for the glory of His name. So Acts chapter 5, verse 17, if you hadn't been with us during this series, um, you know that Peter and John, who are apostles, they just... They just go around town in Jerusalem and they just preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every opportunity they have, they just preach the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And about every other chapter, they get arrested and something happens. So here we are again. We're going to find out they get arrested again. That's where we pick up the story in Acts five seventeen. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. Now notice this, that the religious leaders are filled with jealousy. We've learned in the first four chapters of the book of Acts that the, that the followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now This isn't even the point. This is just free. Did you know you cannot simultaneously be filled with jealousy in the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is full of love. The Holy Spirit is full of freedom. The Holy Spirit is not focused on, on, on what others have, but is focused on glorifying Jesus. And so you can either be full of jealousy or you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you can't be full of both. And so the religious leaders, they are filled with jealousy. And a part of the reason that they're filled with jealousy is because um, their services are diminishing and the services at the apostles' church, they are booming. Everybody's going to their church now. And so when they bump into people and they say, hey, you know, we hadn't seen you in our services, what's going on? And the people are saying, well, look, your service is great. You read Isaiah, but Peter healed my grandma. Okay, so we're going to Peter's service. Like, her leg grew back, so that's the church we're going to, all right? So, peace out. We're going to be there. <clears throat> and so, uh, uh, people in power, especially when they're addicted to power, and, and power is slipping through their fingers, man. They just squeeze tighter and tighter and tighter. And so, and so, what they do is they arrest these men. And not only that, there's some political stuff going on. You see, the, the Jewish ruling council is under the authority of the Roman government. And the Roman government doesn't care about what religion is practiced in Jerusalem. All they want is peace and, and taxes. That's all they care about. Just just don't get disruptive and pay your taxes. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Jewish ruling council, they understand if this whole Jesus movement thing keeps going because there's thousands and thousands of people from all the surrounding areas, and they're coming in to get healed because the apostles are healing people in the name of Jesus, and it's causing a disruption, they know that the, the Roman government will say, look, if Pharisees and Sadducees, if you can't control this, we'll kick you out and get somebody in power that can control it. And so they're going to stop it. That's what they think. And so they arrest the apostles and they put them in public prison. Verse 19. And during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life and when they heard this they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach Look look at the relentless obedience of the apostles I mean they are just relentlessly obedient because if I get locked up and put in jail for preaching Jesus in the temple and then the angel lets me out and says, go preach Jesus in the temple, I might have a conversation about, hey, bro, you know that's how I got here in the first place. So I can, I can free up your calendar next week by not going to jail, by not going to the temple. But not the disciples, not the apostles. They are relentlessly obedient to what they have been commanded to do. Listen to me. God does not set us free for our own preferences, but for his purposes. Some of you have been set free from addictions, from bondage, from debt, have been set free from some of those things. But it's not just for you to settle in to this life that is to make you comfortable. But it's for you to be relentlessly obedient to God's command and God's call in your life. And so that's what they did. And then now when the high priest came, this is verse 21, now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together this council and all the senate of the people of Israel. And they sent them to the prison to have them brought. Verse 22. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, these men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people, to which the temple guard said, isn't that where we found them yesterday? Can you imagine how frustrating this must be for the people in charge trying to squelch Christianity? Uh, Every time they arrest them, an angel lets them out of jail. And by the way, this is just God being funny, all right? The three Bible nerds in here, you'll get this. This is funny. The Sadducees, first of all, they don't believe in a resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. That's how you can remember that, All right. And I know it's cheesy, but tomorrow, tomorrow, at some point in your life, you're going to be like, well, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. People were like, oh, wow, they're so smart. All right. So, and not only that. So, if they didn't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels. The Sadducees don't believe in angels. So, who does God use to get the apostles out of jail? An angel. So that when they show up and, and the Sadducees say, what are you doing here? An angel let us out of jail. We don't believe in angels. I don't care what you believe. Ta-da, here I am. What you believe has no impact on what's reality, okay? And so, uh, can you imagine how frustrating this must be for the group of people that's trying to just just press out Christianity? What do you do with a group of people that do not mind being persecuted for, for what they have seen and heard? My favorite is the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. He says this to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wrote that from prison. So imagine how frustrating it is for this world that just can't get a hold of somebody fully devoted to following Jesus Christ. If you don't shut up about Jesus, we will put you in jail. And Paul and the apostles would say, Praise God, give me a hymnal. I'm going to sing praises to him and lead your jailer to Christ. Oh, oh, oh. well, then we're going to kill you. Even better, then I'll be face to face to the one I was singing to. What do you do with that guy? That's the kind of slippery way these guys live. It's like the handles that this world likes to grab hold of were beginning to fall off of the apostles. And so, here they are again. Ta-da, they are out of jail. And so, you can just imagine how frustrating this is. Verse 26, And then the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Notice how the shift of power is happening. You see, at first, they would come in force with swords and torches and say, you better quit talking about Jesus. Now, they're coming up to the guys as they're preaching to thousands of people going, hey, guys, um, you mind coming back to jail with us? I mean, that, that's how it's going now. And so, Peter and John and the apostles are like, sure, because it's got no hold on us, right? We, we go wherever you want to go. And so they go back, verse 27. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They can't even say the name of Jesus. You ever notice how some things just kind of never change? Like even in our culture, 2,000 years later, it's all good to believe in God and the man upstairs and the higher power and all of that works. But you use that name Jesus and people start getting a little bit uncomfortable, okay? They start getting a little uncomfortable. I mean, you, in fact, we live in a kind of crazy culture where um, you, can, you can write and produce an album that is so anti-God, it's not even funny. And yet, when you get an award to celebrate your album, you can thank the man upstairs, and everybody goes, Oh, I know he was spiritual. No, he's not. No, he's not. But you start using that name Jesus, and I'm telling you, it is a dividing line. And so these guys, they can't even, they can't even use that name. And yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, every time Peter got in front of these people, he said, you killed Jesus. Kind of got on their nerves. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Underline that in your Bible. This is, this is important. We must obey God rather than men. Let me ask you this. I mean, let's just be honest. I know this is a church. No place for that. let just pretend, Okay. <clears throat> That phrase that Peter has decided to live his life by. This is the second time he said it. Uh, we must obey God rather than men. If you're honest, it should really cut you to your soul. Why, why is the applause of man so important for so many of us? I mean, it just is, isn't it? We are people-pleasing machines. In fact... <clears throat> If you're in that place in your life, or you feel like you're stuck, when you feel like, gosh, I hope there's more to this life, I'll bet a big part of the reason you're in that place in your life, in this ordinary, average, mundane kind of life, is because back when you were making decisions about the direction that your life would go, a lot of those decisions were made to please people, to please your mom, to please your dad, to please your boss, to please your kids, to please everybody else except for that audience of one. Why? Why? Why is it so important to us? And look, preachers aren't exempt. Look, Preachers are some of the worst people about pleasing people. Um, there's, there are many, many pastors today standing in pulpits all across our country, and they know God is calling them to do something, but they're afraid to disappoint the folks. Or they're afraid it might affect attendance and giving and those kind of superficial things. And look, I know, I know what that feels like. You know when it's easy to be bold in your faith when you're a, like a full-time Christian like me? It's when you're the youth pastor. When you're sitting in the back row and you've got comments about everything. Because every church planner used to be a youth pastor and we'd all sit in the back row. And, and when church would happen, we'd be like, if I was in charge, this is what I'd do. And then the Lord goes, all right, Scooter, knock yourself out, all right? And then everything changes. And I can tell you, I know you think I enjoy just making you mad at me. I, it, it's not, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do. It's really not. None of us want to disappoint people that are important to us. And so, uh, the Apostle Peter, he's standing in front of a group of men that could kill him instantly, and he says, look, we've got to obey God rather than men. We all seek the approval of people. I've never seen it more tangibly than this past week when I was in New York City with my wife Gretchen. Uh, She and I and some friends went to to New York for the week. Uh, She always wanted to see New York at Christmas, and so that's what we did. We went, and we were on the sixth floor of Macy's. I don't know why a department store needs six or seven or eight or ten floors. Where I grew up, the biggest building in town was Walmart, praise God, all right? And so we're in the sixth floor of Macy's. And you know why? Because Gretchen needs boots. She needs boots because who doesn't need boots? And in Macy's, they got a whole floor just for boots, all right? And, and here's what happened. So, so all you girls, I don't know exactly how it worked, all right? But about a year ago, some very influential woman decided, we all are going to wear boots they look like we came from the Lord of the Rings. Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to wear boots up to here. And on weather, it doesn't matter how hot or cold it is. We're going to wear boots up to here. And, and I don't know who decided it, but once one girl did it, she must have been hot. And then everybody went, "Ooh, i got to have boots like that. And then, and, then, and then two girls saw it, and then four saw it, and, then, and now it's all over New York and all the way to Jacksonville. All right? I'm talking about boots everywhere. Why? Now listen, I got no problem with boots, all right? If you like The Hobbit and you want to look like you are going to be in the movie and wear you some Hobbit boots, knock yourself out. I don't care. But the other day at staff, I even looked around and every girl, I was like, What are y'all in a guild together? What is going on with the boots? And so I sat on this very comfortable couch in Macy's and watched my wife try on boot after boot after boot and watched almost every woman. It didn't matter where they were from. It didn't matter. Just boots everywhere. Why? Because we just kind of want to be like everybody else. And again, I got nothing against boots, all right? Rock on with your Lord of the Ring boots. But, and you know what happened to me, though? I was, at first, I was like, man, what's this silly? Everybody got to have boots. Guess what I got? Boots! All right, so. It's just in us. It's just in us. It's gain the applause of man. And again, if you got on boots, praise God. If you don't, I don't care. But there's some deeper things in your life some of you, are in the career you're in, not because God called you there, but because you're trying to live out somebody else's dream, or you're trying to seek the approval of someone else, or you're trying to chase after this thing called the American dream. And I'm going to tell you, the American dream is a nightmare. Now, I'm pro-America all the way, all right? Uh, and, and God has blessed us like crazy. The, the, the saddest part of the American dream is when you achieve it, and you go, oh my goodness, it was so empty. And so Peter says... Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. So how about you? You see, we, if you've been a Christian for a while, um, you love this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, all right? Your grandma probably has a coffee cup with it written on there, all right? You love this verse. This is a coffee cup verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But we skip by that part and we get to the part about us. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And you're like, praise Jesus, give me some prosper and no harm. That's what I want. I am claiming Jeremiah 29, 11 but you can't run by the beginning where God says through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Don't be living out anybody else's plans for you. You live out my plans for you, regardless of what that means. And so that's what Peter's saying. We must obey God rather than men. Verse 30. Now, the reason he can do that is because he is not afraid and he is not insecure. Because Peter knows who he is Because he knows whose he is. He knows that he is not his own, that he is bought at a price. He has this gospel-centered relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why every time he has the opportunity to speak, he always brings it back to the gospel. Verse 30, he's going to share the gospel with the people that are persecuting him for preaching the gospel. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And I think when you said that, the group went, we knew you were going to say that. Every time we get together, you tell us about how we killed Jesus. Verse 31, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. So Peter's saying, I don't just trust Jesus for my eternity. I didn't just surrender my life to Christ so that when I die, I can go to heaven. Jesus isn't just fire insurance for me. He's not just my savior, but he's also my leader. He doesn't just direct my eternity. He directs my every steps today. And what my leader told me to do in Acts 1 8 is, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And I look around, and guess what, fellas? I'm in Jerusalem. So I'm going to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And if that's a big crowd at the temple, praise God. And if it's one on one with uh, with the prison guard, then praise God. I might not be able to determine the size of the crowd I'm going to preach Jesus to. You might be in charge of that. But what I'm in charge of is being obedient to my leader and my savior now what about you is he your leader and your savior or is he just your fire insurance you see some of you are still bowing down to the idol of the applause of men and so in verse 32 or uh, the end of verse 31 to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sin verse 30 verse 32 and we are witnesses to these things and so is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him I just think, I think it's awesome. He's on trial for preaching Jesus. So what does he do as his defense? He preaches Jesus to the people that are arresting him for preaching Jesus. He's just relentless to do what God has commanded him to do. Verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So he can talk about them. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. All right, listen. Um, This is why, see, Gamaliel is this older guy. Gamaliel, um, um, he's wise. He's got some experience, some life experience, and it's why every church, and really every organization, but for my organization, why every church needs, it's why our church has a board of elders, and, and we thank God we got some old people at our church, all right, Here's why you need old people. And old people, I'm not picking on you. We want to be like you one day, all right? We want to be old, okay? And so it's because you've got some life experience. And so what's going on is the the Jewish ruling council, they're getting fired up and enraged and full of feelings, and they're going, we're going to kill them. And Gamaliel, this older guy, he's like, whoa, 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 settle down, settle down, settle down. Uh, You see, he's got a little experience. He, He says, this has happened before. This isn't the first time that a movement began that had a leader and some people started following And so he's going to share a little historical context um, so that he could share some advice with this group of fired up people. And so he says, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Verse 36, for before these days Thutis, that's a pretty name, isn't it? Thutis rose up, some of you, maybe you're with child and you're looking for a boy name, there you go, isn't that pretty? Thutis. It's biblical. Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Verse 37. And after him, Judas, maybe another name you want to stay away from if you're uh, new to church and you're naming your babies, don't name him Judas. Uh, After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So what Gamaliel is saying is, this isn't new. Let me just give you two examples. Judas and Judas, all right? They both started these little little movements, and we squished them, and then it all went away. And there's actually extra biblical uh, history on these guys. Like Judas, the second guy, he started this movement called the Zealots. And what they did is, in about 6 AD, the government wanted to take a census of all the people so they could raise the taxes. Can you believe that kind of stuff used to happen? And uh, they... The Judas and the Zealots went, we, we ain't playing. We're not going to do that. And so he started a little revolt. And both Thutis and Judas, both of them, as soon as they squashed them, it, it just all went away. And so uh, Gamaliel sharing that just to give them a little bit of context. Verse 38. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Now, these next two lines, you need to underline them in your Bible. You need to highlight them in your Bible. You need to bite your finger and bleed on them in your Bible. Something that will draw your attention back to back to this. Because if you're not there today, there is going to be a time in your life where you need to look at the advice that Gamaliel gives. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Here's why. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. God. Do you see what Gamaliel's advice is? Gamaliel's advice is, listen, in this present case, there's only one of two things that can happen. Either this movement, this whole Jesus came from heaven, died on the cross for the sin of all mankind, and resurrected from the dead. Either that's true or it's false. If it's false, if Peter and John and the apostles are just making it up, if they're just great... um, if they're just great community organizers and if they're just great speakers and if they're just, they're just great at, at, at rallying a crowd, well, then sooner or later, it's going to die off anyway. But on the other hand, if this whole Jesus thing is true, if it's actually ordained of God, then you can't stop it. There's nothing we could do as a ruling council that could stop God. And uh, we're supposed to be on God's team. And what would that look like if we actually found ourselves opposing God? God. So I want to ask you, what does Gamaliel's advice look like for you? What does it look like for you? You see, because some of you, some of you are right on that edge and you know that God has planted his dream deep in your soul. And you know it's there. And the only reason you haven't done something about it is because you're either afraid or insecure. And you're waiting on somebody else to go. And you've got 15 excuses. And you've got too many responsibilities. And you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been clocking into the same big company that you've been working at for years and years and years. And you know God has put it in here for you to start your own business. But you've just been afraid. Or some of you, you're majoring in something in school, but that's not your major. That's your dad's major. And your dad loves you and he's rooting for you. But you know that's not God's call on your life. That's your dad's call in your life, and you know you need to switch majors, but you know it's going to take more school. Or some of you know you need you know you need to go back to school. Or this is blasphemous in the 21st century. Some of you know you need to not do school. Hear all the parents go, shut up, don't tell my (laughs) kids. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Some of you moms, you know God's been saying, come home, go, quit work, cut down your hours, go, come home and raise those babies. Now, not because I'm saying so, all right? Some of you mamas need to go to work because you're driving your kids crazy, all right? I'm just, you know, some of you do. It's not about what I'm telling you to do. I don't know what God's telling you to do, but you do. You know exactly what He's saying. It's launched that company, it's launched that business, it's venture out on your own. And for a lot of you in this room, it's to double back down on that calling that you received from him years ago, that he has strategically placed you in the company, in the workspace, in the workplace that you're in, and and he placed you there like a city on a hill, or like a light in a dark place. And you've gotten bored with it, and you've taken your eye off of it. For some of you, a few of you, not many, he's calling you to step away, uh, Step away from that kind of workforce and go into full-time ministry. Now, not everybody. There's There's no sacred and secular. People make that up. But God calls us all to do whatever he's called us to do. And some of you are right on that edge, but you've been afraid to jump in. And Gamaliel's advice to us today would be, go for it. Why not? What do you have to lose? Because if it's up to you, if this is just your own good idea, then it will fail. And praise God, right? You get, a little, you get a loan and some counseling, and you'd be right back on your feet. And, but, but at least you won't be living with regret. At least when you are in your last days and you're looking back over your life, you won't be going, what if? I wonder if that really was the Lord nudging me to do something bigger than I ever dreamed. And, and if it is God... If God is actually calling you to, to step away or to start it new or to come home or to go to work or to switch majors or whatever it is that He is calling you to do, if it is God, then nothing can stop it anyway. And don't you want to be on His side instead of seeing what you can do on your own? So Camelio would say, look, just go for it. The point is this. I put it in your notes this way. Here's what I want our folks doing. I want a bunch of people here that are following Peter's example that means we must obey God rather than men. I'm not, I'm not living out somebody else's dream for me. I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. I want to follow Peter's example, and I want to take Gamaliel's advice. If this plan is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop it. Look, there, there are two times that I can think of right now that, that I've had to um, just stare that Gamaliel's advice just, just right down the barrel of it. The first is when I surrendered to, to go into the ministry. Now, some of you might look at, at what's going on now and say, "Well, gosh, that must have been an easy decision. Um, but, you know, when I was making that decision, it wasn't at all. I didn't grow up in church. The, the, my only church experience was not super positive. There's a lot of things that I didn't understand. I didn't want to understand why men wore dresses in church, and, and I didn't understand. I didn't even, the word pew meant something didn't smell good where I was from. I didn't want to sit in it, all right? So there's just a lot of stuff about church that, that I didn't get. I was radically saved as a teenager at this camp. And while I was at camp, um, uh, Coach Bull Lee continuously put me in charge of everything. The first sermon I preached was there. He just leaned over during the worship service and said, all right, Joby Martin, you're going to preach. What? Preach about what? Preach about Jesus. Preach about 30 minutes. Go. I mean, that was it. That's how I got into it. Led Bible studies there and all of that. But I, I had no intention of working for church. None. In fact, I would tell Coach Lee, I will never, ever, ever work at church. Ha-ha, all right? And uh, (laughs) I went to school to be a doctor. I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, majored in biology pre-med. And you know why I wanted to be a doctor? Because I'd seen ER, all right? Started school in 1991, and ER was awesome. I thought, well, I'll do that, okay? I'll be rich. Uh, Everybody will think I'm awesome. Uh, I've seen Dr. Cars. I've seen Dr. Wives. I'll sign up for all those, okay? That's what I want. And in fact, my freshman year, I saved up some money and got a pair of Doc Martins. You know why? Because when people say, what's your name? I was going to go, Doc Martin. Booyah. What you got on that? <laughs> How sweet would that be? And then <clears throat> another reason is, is when I told my dad, uh, dad, I think I'm going to be a doctor. He kind of swelled up. He's like, that's right, boy, my boy's going to be Doc Martin, right? He loved that. And so it was, um, it was my, uh, right between my junior and senior year of college. And everything was lined up for me to go to medical school. I'd taken my MCATs. I got into Medical College of Virginia. I had good grades. All of that. And, and it's not because I'm that smart. It's just that the, the way that, that the educational system was set up, it's just set up for my brain, especially biology. You go into biology class, and they say, this is your arm. And then nine weeks later, they go, what is that? And you go, that's an arm. I go, congratulations. You got an A. And it just kind of uh, progresses from there, right? It really is. And so, and so I, I did all that. And then the problem was is that... Um, that was not God's call on my life. Now, if you're a doctor, God bless you. Praise God. If God's called you to be that, you better be a God-glorifying doctor. But, uh, and, and it would be sinful for you to step away from that and try to be a preacher. And listen, doctors, I'll make a deal with you. You won't preach my sermons, and I won't see your patients. See? And it'll all work out beautifully. And, and, and all of that was sort of tough, surrendering to that. I mean, I remember thinking, man, I'm, I'm my roommate in, in college... He would have given his left leg to get into med school and he didn't get in. And I, I wasn't even sure I should go or not, and I made it in. That was tough to tell him that. But the real tough one was my dad. Called my dad, said, hey, let's take you out to lunch. Took him to Subway. We sat down. <laughs> eyeball to eyeball from one another. And I said, Daddy, I am not going to med school. Uh, I'm going to go to seminary. And you know what he said? What is seminary? <laughs> didn't even know what it was, okay? And I just found out too. So... Uh, <laughs> And here's the thing, uh, now my dad loves me, He knew me probably better than I knew me, but I still couldn't live out his call in my life, I had to live out the Lord's call. And he gave me very, very wise advice, he was a little afraid that I was running from responsibility, and, and, and running from front, so let me tell you, all you 20 year olds in here that are ready to go home and say, mom, I'm dropping out of college, because God told me, alright, let me tell you, uh, uh, God is not a God of confusion, so I had a plan, alright, dad, here's what I'm going to do, here's where I'm going to go to grad school, and you know, here's what Jobs after that look like etc etc, and he gave me wise advice. He said he just said, just just know this: every day when you wake up, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. So he told me, and man, I did not know how right he was. But I took that advice and I worked very very hard. But but here's what I knew in that moment: if I was just making this up, well, it'll fail. But this is God's idea, then nothing can stop it. The other time where I had to stare down Gamaliel's advice was um, when we decided to launch this church. Okay? Now, I know we're only 12 weeks old, and so far things were going great. But a year and a half ago when we first started talking about this, um, you know, for those of you that, that were part of the service at Beach 1122, things were going great there. And then the leadership, we all decided that, that it wasn't going to continue that way. And so Gus and I had a decision to make. And let me just tell you, in preacher world, all right? In preacher world, the easiest thing and probably the most lucrative thing for my family would have been to just send out the resume. To just send out the resume to churches around the country and we could kind of go where, wherever it worked out to go and, and that would have been easy. Instead of planting a new church, just move into an already church, right? You don't have to convert the ladies' accessory section into the pulpit. You just move into one that's already happening. But the problem with that was God's call in our life. When Gretchen and I came to Jacksonville in 2003, we believed with everything we were made of. I mean, short of hearing God's voice out of a burning bush, we believed that God had called us to Jacksonville to make disciples. And we didn't think we were finished making disciples of you and with you. And we, we for the last nine years, God had been knitting together our families with some families that are sitting in this room right now. And so, at our kitchen table... We literally opened up the Bible to this prayer, for if this plan, and we were talking about the launch of the church of 1122, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. And we pray, dear God, if this thing, if the success of the church of 1122 is built on how good Ben Williams can sing and how good I can preach, then let it fail quickly. Just go ahead and run it in the ditch and let nobody show up uh, so that we can get on to whatever you've actually called us to. Because I don't want to waste my time just doing my plans. I'd like to do what you have called us to do. But if this is of God, if this is of God, then nothing can stop it. And so there were lots of organizations that said, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And we said, well, okay, but we've got to do it. And then you ask, well, did it work? Again, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're 12 weeks old, all right? But so far, so good. Was it painful? Maybe one day in a decade, I'll describe to you the pain that it took to get here, all right? Uh, But would I do it again? Are you kidding me? I wouldn't miss this opportunity to be a part of what God had ordained. You see, this was not my idea. I didn't get me into this, so I'm counting on the Lord to walk me through it. So how does that play out in your life? Now, I'm not telling everybody to start a church, okay? But how does that play out in your life? For some of you, it's start a new business. For some of you, it is. It's venture out on your own. For some of you, it's to double down where you are because God has strategically placed you. For some of you moms, it's time to come home. And for some of you moms, it's time to go to work. Whatever it is that God has commanded you to do. You see, the disciples, they just did what God had commanded them to do. That's why you better be rooted in His Word. You better know His Word really, really well. So when He sets you free, it's not just for your own pleasure, but for His purposes. So what does it mean for you? I'm hoping and praying that today is the day that some of you that are right on that edge and you've been scared, that today is the day that you would take that leap of faith and do what a lot of people think are crazy, but it doesn't matter what a lot of people think. Okay, we don't want normal, right? Normal is broke. Normal is lonely. Normal is depressed. I don't want normal. I want God-sized vision. That's what I want. And so look what these folks did. I love it. At the end of uh, verse 39, so they took his advice. So they listened to what he said, and they took his advice, and everyone lived happily ever after. That's like the uh, prosperity gospel version. The problem with that is the Bible, okay? When preachers stand up and tell you, you obey God, and all the details work out perfectly, they're not speaking on behalf of God. You know how I know? Because I read the book, read the whole thing, all the way to the end. The end works out awesome. In between now and then, it can be a little rough. So they obey uh, Peter and John and the apostles do exactly what God has called them to do. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And this beating is not like a spanking, like three licks. Now, you better not do that again. Yes, sir. No, this was, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you know what a flogging or a beating is. This was debilitating. This was um, forever disfigured for the rest of their lives. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Forty was supposed to kill you. So it was just to the brink of death. So some of you, some of you at some time in your past, you stepped out in faithfulness because God had called you to do something. And right now you're going, okay, God, here I am. And where are you? Because I've seen the 700 Club video and what's supposed to happen is uh, I step out in faith and then ta-da, cash and prizes. And I don't see the cash nor the prizes. So what's the problem? Listen, you do not measure your obedience to God based on fruitfulness, but faithfulness. And he is faithful. Perseverance is a biblical value. You just keep walking in it. You just keep walking in it. You, keep, you don't know what part of the story you're playing. See, you don't know what your company is going to be like one day. You don't know what the generations to come that are going to stand on your shoulders. You don't know what it's going to be like. We've got some people that that show up to this church, mostly on on Thursday nights, from Rising Tide Methodist Church. You may not even know what that is, but 75 years ago in a bakery in Jacksonville Beach, a group of people got together and started praying for revival, started praying for revival in Jacksonville. And Miss Anita Osborne says, and I come on Thursday night to 722 because I get to see the fulfillment of my prayers. And she talks about how tough it was in those early days when it did not look like it was going to work out. And some of you, that's where you are walking right now. You did whatever you are taking Gamaliel's advice, and right now you're afraid. Look, God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so, and when they had called them in, when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And look at how the apostles respond, verse 41. And when they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name like this was like the highlight of their ministry they didn't even they 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 rejoiced can you believe that we got to suffer for the name of jesus he gave up his life i gave up some of my skin amen how can they do that how because because they were not ruled by their feelings It's why I say I don't care about your feelings. It's not that I don't care that you have feelings, okay? Gresham has a lot of them. I've experienced them often, and I'm glad, all right? I'm glad you have feelings. They're just not your leader or your ruler, but Jesus is. And so the way that they could rejoice that they had been persecuted is because they followed Jesus, not because he worked out all their circumstances. They didn't follow Jesus because he made their life better. They surrendered their life to Jesus because he, in and of himself, was better than life. He was the prize, And so they walked in that. And some of you that are walking in obedience, that you stepped out in faith and it's not working out the way you thought it was going to, yet you just keep walking in perseverance and you continue to do exactly what he has called you to do. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So where are you today? Here's what I know. Some of you feel stuck. Stuck. Some of you are, are up here where, where Peter was talking about. Some of you are still wrestling with the applause of man or the audience of God. And, and you got to wrestle that out. I mean, how does that apply in your life today? I don't know, but you do. You know you're still seeking the approval of some person. And it could be a good person or a bad person. It doesn't matter. Somebody that loves you or somebody who's just trying to just suck all the, all the productivity out of you. But you're not to to live out their call in your life. You're to live out God's call in your life. And so when we respond, we're going to have a bunch of staff folks, mostly over on this side, but all around up here. And you're going to come, and you can just say, look, I'm living for the the applause of my dad, my coach, my teacher, whoever it is. And, And you're ready to lay that down and turn your attention from the applause of man to the approval of the one true God. That's where some of you are. That's why you feel stuck. And then there's some of you, there's a bunch of you in this room right now. And you are right on the edge of taking Gamaliel's advice. But because of fear and insecurity, you're like, I don't know, I don't know. And the reason you don't want to jump is because you don't know who you are because you don't know whose you are. You just lean into the gospel, you lean into the cross, and then you go for it, baby, you go for it. Today could be the day that marks it on your calendar that this day... Day the first day of the rest of my life, this is when it all changed. God planted a seed in me, a dream, his dream in me years ago. And on this day in December, I said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And God, I'm going to leave the results up to you. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to start the new one or move away from it or whatever it is. You know exactly. And some of you right now are like, dang it. You're leaning over to your wife. Did you email him? She did not email me, all right? It's just what the book says to do. And so you go for it. And then there's some of you, and, and, you're, and you've done that. You've done that. And the circumstances aren't what you thought they would be. And you come down to this altar, you can ask the staff person to pray over you, and you pray for perseverance, that you would be faithful, that you would be faithful. Because did it work out for the apostles? Well, look, if it wasn't for them, none of us would be here. And every one of them were martyred. Okay? So sometimes the details don't work out the way we want them to. But look, when you're laying in your bed at the end of your days, don't you want to look back and say, I was faithful in what the Lord had called me to do. And so just like at the end of every service, we're going to respond. That's how this works, right? We respond to God. God initiates, and we respond. The way we respond, we respond by singing. We respond by coming and praying, coming by being prayed for. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings, bringing back to God, and the boxes are in the kiosk. We respond. And then we're going to do a special little caveat for some of you in this room. never done this before until this weekend. But our elders, our board of elders is going to be over here on this side of the stage. And if you're the boss of something, if you're the president, the CFO, the CEO, if you're a manager, and it doesn't matter if it's like you and two people and you do lawns and you just started that company, or you got 3,000 employees and you're refinancing the world, it doesn't matter. But if God has placed you in charge of something, And we want to invite you to come down and be prayed over by our board of elders. That you, as you go to work tomorrow, it wouldn't just be live out your own dream and chase your own dream. But that you would run a God-glorifying business. That you would do things in such a way you would conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you would love your employees like Christ loved you. That you would serve your, uh, your customers like Christ served us. And praise God, there's no division between secular and sacred, as if what I'm doing, God's more proud of than what you're doing. Absolutely not. God has called me to do what I do, and God has called you and gifted you to do what you do. And we want to pray blessing over you that God would move right crazy in the businesses uh, that the Church of 1122 represents. So no matter where you are, if you're struggling with trying to please people instead of God, if you're right on the edge and you just need that spirit filled courage to leap, if your circumstances are just tough if you know god has placed you strategically placed you where you are on purpose whatever it is we invite you to come would you please stand let's pray our good and gracious heavenly father god i thank you um, that you know the plans you have for us and you have declared it god i thank you for the general plans that you have for all of us that we would love you and love people That we would proclaim Jesus wherever we go. That we would make disciples regardless of what our vocation is. And that, God, we also praise you for the specific plans. And, God, I praise you right now for the businesses, the God-honoring businesses that will be launched because somebody is going to respond today to the Holy Spirit. God, I praise you for the people that are going to step away uh, from the job that they've had for the last 20 years and their next 20 they're going to spend in full-time ministry. God, I praise you for the mamas that are going to come home, that are going to make... uh, the, the budget decisions at home to make that work God and I, pray, I praise you God for the mamas that you birth a brand new a business venture in their lives God we give you to praise not us Lord we lift up to you the men and the women and the students in this place that live for the applause of man God may they turn their eyes upon you and may the things of this world just grow strangely dim God I lift up to you the men and women in this place that feel like they're right on the edge but it's fear and insecurity that's holding them back God, would you help them follow the example of Peter and listen to the advice of Gamaliel, an old dead Pharisee. God, may they leap out in faith. And if it's of you, God, we know that it would not fail. God, I pray for the men and women in this place. And the circumstances are tough, yet they know they're walking in faithfulness. God, may they never doubt you because of the circumstances. May they always look to the cross, that you proved your love for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross. And God, I pray for the bosses in this place. No matter how big or small the company or the organization, God, I pray for the bosses. That this would be a place, God, what we lift them up, we build them up so that we could lead God-glorifying businesses in this city. To redeem this city. For the name and the renown of Jesus Christ, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll respond.